0: Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Nikki Taylor and Steve Harper as we discuss Genesis 15 through 36. After Nikki provides a summary of the section, We'll have an extended conversation with Steve Harper about the Sodom and Gomorrah story found in Genesis 18 through 19. Steve Harper is a retired pastor in the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. His life's work has been focused on the spiritual formation of seminarians and pastors. We invited Steve on this particular episode because Steve has moved from a conservative view on marriage and sexuality to a fully inclusive position, believing that all people, regardless of sexual orientation, can be called by God to serve as pastors in the local church. He recently wrote a book about this journey entitled Holy Love. As a former seminary professor, Steve brings deep insight and thought to his work. We know there are different perspectives in our congregation around our understandings of same-sex marriage and ordination. While Steve takes a position in favor of both, what is also of interest for our Bible project is how Steve interprets the passage, the methods, the texts, and the thought process. This is a model for how to interpret other often challenging texts in the Bible. One final note, this episode contains some frank conversations about sexuality and violence that may not be appropriate for children and some adults.
1: This week's reading seems like a complicated soap opera. It revolves around the trials, dramas, and successes of Abraham and his dysfunctional family. All this dysfunction, however, reveals three themes that are central to the whole story of the Bible—blessing, covenant, and rebellion. First, blessing. Remember back to last week's reading. Abram was blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the world— This isn't a passing statement. It's God's huge promise that Abraham and his descendants, a.k.a. the nation of Israel, are going to be God's instruments to fix the broken world. This blessing is hinted at in blessings from God, like the birth of Isaac at Sarah's old age. Spoiler alert! This blessing reaches its fulfillment in the New Testament with an Israelite named Jesus. The rest of our Old Testament narrative is the story of how Abram's original blessing grows and spreads to the nation of Israel, ultimately finding its fulfillment in Jesus. And second, covenant. The covenant God makes with the nation of Israel, even with all its weird stuff like circumcision and animal sacrifices, is all about keeping Israel set apart so they can ultimately bring this blessing to the rest of the world through Jesus. And finally, rebellion. Although the nation of Israel has been blessed by God and has the special covenant, they mess up a lot. This is clear through this week's readings, like Jacob stealing his brother's birthright and Laban deceiving Jacob, and to the rest of the Old Testament as a whole. So blessing, covenant, and rebellion. Keep these three themes in mind as you explore the rest of Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament. Hello. Hi, Steve. It's Nikki Taylor from Hyde Park. How are Hi. you?
2: Fine, be Good to hear your voice.
1: Yeah, good to hear from you too, Steve. So we're going to dive right into these questions here. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, I'm a native of Texas, but haven't lived there for a long time. Jeannie um, and I have lived uh, here in Florida since 1998. And a simple summary, I guess, would be to tell you I'm a retired elder in the Florida Annual Conference and also a retired seminary professor. I uh, taught uh, for over 30 years in the disciplines of spiritual formation and Wesley studies.
1: So we are covering Genesis 15 through 36 this week. And so let us know sort of your general thoughts on that overall section about generally where we are in the Bible. When
2: you look at the way Genesis unfolds, Chapter 15 is where God reaffirms the covenant with Abraham. It's after he and Lot have separated and it's almost like a fresh start for Abraham. Uh and so uh, even though at first I thought it was a little strange to start at chapter 15, now I now it's, it, it makes perfect sense because you've got the reestablishment of the covenant. But 15 to 36 is is kind of the place where, you know, we see the uh Uh, fundamental elements of Israel's history being nailed down. And uh, that's why I called it Israel's Big
1: Three. In the middle of Israel's Big Three, we have a big passage that really gets a lot of attention, I feel like, in this section of the Bible. And that's the good old Sodom and Gomorrah text. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And so one of the things we wanted to hone in on is— Um, sort of as the United Methodist Church and really a lot of Christians as a whole are wrestling with LGBT persons and whether, you know, or not we want to have full inclusion in the church. So we wanted to kind of pick your brain and your thoughts on the Sodom and Gomorrah text as it relates to the LGBTQ community, Um, because a lot of times this text has been used to demonize them, or it's been used as a reason why we shouldn't be affirming so what are, yes. what are your thoughts?
2: Well, uh, here's, uh, here's a one-sentence summary, and then, of course, I've, I've kind of got to prove it after I say it. Uh, I don't think Genesis 19 has anything to do with it with uh, LGBTQ people. Um, and fewer and fewer Christians, even uh, conservative ones, are using this passage as a place to argue uh, the issue of homosexuality. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean, let I me mean, be clear, there are still Christians who do. Yeah. But it is true that fewer and fewer Christians are using this passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I, when I wrote uh, my, my book called, called, called uh, Holy Love, mm-hmm. uh, I, I didn't even deal with the passage. And I'm, you know, I've got a yeah. little footnote in there where I explain why. Um, but even though Christians used to use it all the time, Fewer and fewer doing so. Mm -hmm. Now I've got to (laughs) kind of got to tell you why, don't I? Yeah. Uh, And there there are at least three reasons why this is very interesting. One is, and I didn't know about this for a long, long time. uh, Christianity didn't even use this text in relation to homosexuality until the 11th century. Oh wow! There, There was there was no linking of Sodom and Gomorrah. The LGBTQ matters until Peter Damien who's a theologian in the Middle Ages Peter Damien wrote a letter and he mentioned the passage he used the passage to talk about that some of the sins that the priests were committing as LGBTQ people as we call them they homosexual people mm-hmm. that had never been done before mm-hmm. now uh-huh. you, you I, I heard you say you know wow yeah. but there's actually even more of a while, because uh, 1500, years before that, that is to say, the time this until the New Testament, 1500 years, there's no link there either. Mm. So if you add Judaism, 1500 years, Christianity's thousand years, there's 2,500 years that this verse was never associated with homosexuality.
0: So, if it's not associated with homosexuality, if we can just kind of make that that's statement, right. and of course, I think more yeah. of its association sure. comes with the advent of the word sodomites," which is an unfortunate yes. term. Um, it's, it's a,
2: that's after Peter Damien's time when people began to use it that hmm. way. that's right.
0: so what what would um, what would be how would um, the story have been interpreted for the original 2,500 years up until the time of Peter Damien?
2: Well, that's interesting, That because the Bible answers that question itself. If you go to Ezekiel, chapter 16, verses 48 through 50, Ezekiel says in verse 49, this is the sin of your sister Sodom. And then he says, she and her daughters, the daughters would have been, you know, Gomorrah and some of the other cities that were located near Sodom that's what daughters means it doesn't literally mean women Sodom and you know the, the the other cities you know in the vicinity were proud that's number 1 they were gluttonous number 2 they enjoyed peace and prosperity is number 3 now what that means is, is they were sort of consumeristic they were lazy they were they were indulgent people they they cared more about themselves than they cared about other people. So there's, there's the sin of Sodom. They were proud, they were gluttonous, and they were indulgent. And so, then he goes on. He goes on. Sodom didn't help the poor and the needy. And that's it. There's not one reference to homosexuality. The sin of Sodom, even in Scripture was never understood as homosexuality. It was understood as as uh, turning in on themselves and becoming selfish and consumeristic and lacking compassion for people who were in need. Um, so when, when my eyes were open to these two things, I said, okay, so what is Genesis 19 about then? What is Sodom and Gomorrah about? Yeah, from the standpoint of sexuality, because obviously something sexual is going on there.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, right.
2: And and yeah, I mean you can't write that out, but but if it's not homosexuality, what is it? Well, um, to try to be as delicate as I can here on the podcast, it's gang rape.
0: Hmm. Yeah,
2: which yeah. was which was a form of cultural dominance. Um, it's interesting. You, you, you have to read. You know, quite a bit, and I'm still learning, but, um, apparently when people would come into town, kind of like those three angels did to Sodom, they would be welcome. There was hospitality, you know, a lot, let them spend the night in the house and all this kind of stuff. And if if everybody was okay with that, then there certainly wasn't going to be any gang rape. But if the, let's say the leaders of the city were uncomfortable, if they felt like these people posed a threat, in some way to them, then they would a culture that they would often sexually abuse the visitors to just say, we want to remind you we're in charge and you're not.
0: So it was an act of dominance.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. It was a way of shaming your visitors when you felt threatened by them. We don't know how they, they felt threatened. You know, yeah. Genesis doesn't say that, but all Genesis does is pick up the story when they show up at the door. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, demand that these people be brought outside, uh, as the text says, so that we can know them. And that has sexual connotations, but Mm -hmm. not homosexual. And one of the reasons we we know that, too, from the text is that Lot offers his daughters in exchange, saying, "No, you know, don't, don't mess with these guests, but you can have my daughters. Well, you wouldn't say that to homosexual people.
0: Yeah. Right, right.
2: See, you you wouldn't offer daughters to gay men, yeah. See. yeah so right in genesis nineteen, we're 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 dealing with gang rape and and sadly, you know you think, well gosh, that was a awful thing to be you know a terrible way to treat your out- of towners, but it goes on in prisons today. This mm-hmm. is not an ancient sin.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: When you get a prisoner in the in the in the prison system, who uh, needs to be shown who's boss, you know, from the other prisoners, Uh, gang rape is still used in the uh, penitentiary system. So this is not an old sin. This this is not an old sin. But I'll just stop by saying, but it's not a homosexual Mm -hmm. passage either.
0: Right. Using sexuality as a form of dominance. um, Absolutely. It seems to, I mean, it's certainly one of those thorny issues in the Old Testament as a whole um, that would almost benefit, like, I feel like we don't do a proper treatment of that dom- of the issue of dominance coming from sexuality or sexuality being used as dominance because we get so caught up in ideas of homosexuality in mm-hmm. the Bible and reading those texts homosexually yeah. instead of reading them as violent texts. Um, yeah, no,
2: I think that's right, and and if you expand it, you know, then you begin to notice how often uh, in other places in the Old Testament. This kind of um, self-gratifying, using other people to satisfy your own desires kind of sexuality is not the way of God. Um, and that's a people of all orientations. That, that, that applies to all of us. And most of the passages in the Old Testament do apply to everybody. Um, there's, uh, I, I don't know of a, of a specific passage in the Old Testament, including the two in Leviticus, that are are naming homosexual people. They are talking about a sexual sin Mm -hmm. that's based in lust rather than in love and in violence rather than in hospitality.
1: Okay, so we know what Genesis 19 doesn't say, but what are the practical applications of Genesis 19 for us today?
2: I bet you there are millions of women around this world in the Me Too movement and everywhere else who would say, we understand what was going on in Sodom. It, except it's happening, you know, to women, and, and not not three guests in an ancient city. Uh, this kind of stuff still goes on, and Christians need to stand against it, not stand against LGBTQ, but but stand against sexual abuse.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that's a really uh, a really helpful way to reframe this mm-hmm. passage um, to read it and and find um, a something to do out of reading this right instead of just going okay I'm going to dismiss it or uh, worse fuel uh, bigotry from it Mm -hmm. but to say hey there is this these really bad things that still go on Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely Yeah. yeah that's right so I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast Steve's interpretation of the Sodom and Gomorrah story can teach us a useful tool for reading the Bible inner biblical interpretation, otherwise called contextual criticism. It's a method of using the Bible to interpret the Bible. For example, in my common English study Bible, as I'm reading through Genesis 18 through 19, in the study notes, I see that there's a reference to the passage from Ezekiel 16 that Steve mentioned. That could spur me to further study, flipping to that passage and seeing what the prophet Ezekiel had to say about this story. Many of the stories found in the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, are reinterpreted once, twice, or more throughout the course of the Bible, both in the Old and New Testaments. So as you're reading the Bible this week, and throughout this series, look for footnotes or cross-references, particularly in the Old Testament, that may help you make sense of a challenging passage of scripture. Don't think of it as a puzzle though, but as a journey, an opportunity to enter into an interpretive history that's been happening for over 3,000 years. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the podcast. We'll be back next week with more content on Genesis. Nikki Taylor produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.